You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 22. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Happy Thursday, guys. Welcome to The Lively Show. Before we get started, I have a few exciting announcements to share. Number one is, for those who have been listening over the last few weeks, you know that Mr. Lively Franklin and I are moving to Austin, Texas. I'm so excited to share that we found the cutest little bungalow in Hyde Park to live in. I've shared a photo of it on Instagram at Jess C. Lively. If you want to check it out, feel free to go over and see what it looks like. It's so cute and it's painted in Michigan colors. So since I'll be a few miles from UT, I'll actually be sporting my maize in blue. In addition to that exciting announcement, I also am so thrilled to share that the Braille necklaces I used to make with Jess LC, these were intention necklaces that had Braille on the front so you could remind yourself of your intention without anyone else knowing, and at the same time feeling the Braille letters to remind yourself of your intention are back. I've worked with Acanthus Jewelry. Nicole is a metalsmith designer who has helped me bring those pendants that are so sought after back to the shop. So if you want to take a look at them and see what they are, they also, by the way, are under $50, which is less expensive than I've ever been able to have them manufactured with before, which is fantastic as well go over to jesslively.com slash intention necklaces. The two phrases we have so far are be brave and be present. Those two themes, in fact, are actually lively show themes, you know, pretty much all the time. And that actually brings me to today's show. In today's episode, I'm talking with Kendi Skeen of KendiEveryday.com. Kendi is a very well-known fashion blogger. You guys may have already or probably have already heard of her. And one of the things you may know about Kendi is that she had a store called Bloom, which was a brick and mortar and online store. A few months ago, she closed that business and I've asked her to come on the show to share what she's learned from this experience. So in this episode, which is pretty long, I'm not going to lie, this is over an hour and I actually cut it down to get it to this length. This episode, I really wanted to keep in its length because of how open and honest Kendi was. I think there's so much to share here for people who might be thinking about blogging or business and want to hear a really vulnerable and honest, tell it like it is story of what she's learned over the last three years. In the show, we're going to talk also about fashion, of course, since Kendi is a fashion blogger. So we're going to talk about how her 30 for 30 started, how we can remix our own wardrobes. Now, we talk about clothes basically for 22 minutes. So if you're really only interested in the business side of things, I would actually skip ahead to minute 22 to actually hear her story of going from having a full-time career to going full-time as a blogger and then eventually opening her brick-and-mortar store, Bloom. She's also going to talk about what she wished someone had told her when she started Bloom, all the mistakes that she's made along the way, and she's going to explain why Bloom closed and what the next chapter for Bloom and Kendi will be. Let's go to the show. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Kendi. Yeah, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So for those who may remember years ago with my old accessory company, Jess LC, there was one lookbook that happened to come out that featured a very beautiful woman, and that woman happened to be you. 
<laughs> yeah, it was. Um, gosh, it feels like years ago. I, and I look, I looked back on those photos a couple of uh, months ago and I looked so young. That was so fun. <laughs> I know I was single at the time. You guys slept on my floor. <laughs> yeah. I think. Yeah. No, actually, I think you gave us your bed. Oh, I did. Oh, that was so nice of me. <laughs> Isn't that so kind? I know. I think it's your bed. Well, I should oh. have. I'm glad that I was that good because otherwise, what <laughs> yeah. am I doing sleeping on the bed while you two are sleeping on the floor? But anyways, oh man. So it's been a long time, but I'm so excited to have you on the show and to share your story since then because back when I met you, you were working at a jewelry store or a jewelry company, I should say. Yeah. So time frame wise, it was, I was 25 and B and I had been married for a little over two years. And I, I was working at, uh, it was it's James Avery. It's a, it's a religious jewelry store that also it specializes in sterling silver. I did their email marketing and print advertising and PR. So that's what I did for them. And I liked my job. I didn't, um, love that I knew that I was in a position where I would never be able to go further than where I was at. You know, we lived in Kerrville, Texas, and it's, I think, 23,000 people maybe. So not a lot of people there and not a lot of people who were our age or had any interests in, in anything that we did. I always joked that Kerrville was a place you went to die because it was a retirement <laughs> community. <laughs> and that's that's what people were waiting on doing. So it was extremely boring. But um, that's where that's where Kindy Every Day started. Is I was bored. Brian worked. He had a weird job as well. He worked at a Christian retreat center, and he was kind of like the operations manager. And so he would be gone on the weekend. So if I wanted to see him, I would drive an hour out to see him on the weekend. So it was, it was just it was. When I look back on it, it was. It was perfect existence for our first few years of marriage, but it was lonely. And so that's kind of where Kindy Every Day started. I looked at blogs and just became enamored with blogs and bloggers and these girls. And so I, I told Brian I wanted to start a blog. So that's we, the, Kindy Every Day was a third attempt, but we finally nailed it, <laughs> I think. So what were the first two names? Oh, I have God, I can't. I can't. Um, one of them was, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> They're so bad. <laughs> you have I mean, to even now. now. No, I cannot. Even like my toes are like, do not tell her. Do not put this on the air. It's so bad. Um, but they they were so bad. One of them, I think I was really into. It was like everyday runway or something. But it was already taken on Blogspot.com, and nothing inside of me was like, oh, why don't you just buy the domain? I mean, this was two thousand seven, two thousand eight. So, you know, the business of blogging didn't exist, and buying domains was, you know. I didn't think about that. So yeah, so one was like Everyday Runway, which I think was taken. And the other one, I'll take to my grave. It was so horrible. Sometimes Brian will just throw it out there and I'll just cringe. I'm like, you know, I hate you for remembering that. But um, yeah, so anyway, so Kindy Every Day happened. Yeah, so that's, I don't, you didn't even ask that, but. No, I wanted to know the names. I'm just sad we don't know the one that's going to your grave. I can't. It's so bad. On my very last blog post, when I end my blog, I'll just throw it out there so everyone can, oh, God, it's horrible. All right. So when you started the first two, they weren't sudden hits, but how did Kendi Everyday do from the beginning? Um, I think and I think the reason the other two weren't sudden hits was because I, I 
um, I would literally put two posts up and then I was like, okay, I can't do this. And it was more of my own self self doubt and kind of self defeat than, um, it wasn't successful. So it was, it was like, oh no, no, this is weird. I'm not going to do this. So I, I think that that's why can be every day stuck around because I stuck around with it. I was like, okay, from the beginning, I'm going to do this. I think I thought every day is what I really did think. And I think after maybe the first five posts, I, I ended up getting a comment and you know how good it feels when you get your first comment. So, you know, back in, it's hard to relate my blog to people now, especially if they, if you've just started a blog because 2008 was a, or well, I didn't start in 2008, 2009 was a very different landscape for blogging. It was not that it's not community based now, but it was a very small community and so I remember there was this blog, it was, it was written by three girls and it was called Academic Chic. And one of them left a comment on my blog and you would have thought, I mean, I think we went to dinner that night to celebrate. Like I was so <laughs> excited because somebody I read, read my blog. That's a big moment when you, when someone you know reads your blog and you're like, that's not supposed to happen. Yeah, it's a big deal. It's a very like Twin Peaks experience because you're like, but they're in their house. And I mean, you know, it's like, what? They know who I am, you know? So I think I just stuck with it. And I just kind of made the decision that, you know, at the time, again, it, I, I didn't know about big blogging or big bloggers or, or success or what wasn't success. So it was just kind of, it was really fun. You know, it was just kind of something that took me outside of my job and made me think about something other than you know, email marketing or, you know, how, how lonely I was because I didn't have real friends. And you can leave that in the podcast. That's real sad. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone just heard that. I think probably the best thing that I learned with Candy Every Day was community. I, I um, started, I, it was really an experiment for myself. It was called a 30 for 30. And um, it, it's where I took 30 pieces of clothing and I remixed them into 30 different outfits. And, uh, but by the time that I, I think I'd done maybe five, I think maybe over like 2000 people had joined in. And, and again, back in, in 2009, 2010, that was a lot of community. That is still a lot of community candy. <laughs> it is, it is. I guess I see numbers now and you just think, you know, you know, it, everything's kind of been skewed now with, you know, it's 2014, everything's bigger and better. That's kind of what the world tells you. So it was, um, it was really fun. It was really fun to do the, I kind of called them closet diets and I, I don't do them anymore just because I, a lot of people ask still, but it's a lot to manage with a lot of people, especially 2000 or more people. Right. That it's a lot to manage. And also I, and anybody that would email or ask, it's, you know, it's a diet, you know, once you kind of figure out, oh, this is how I like to dress, then you don't really need to continually do this over and over, you know, but I think it's still out there. I think it's still like maybe a hashtag and there's a website that's go chic or go home. It's, you can upload pictures or closet and kind of find community there, but they still do the 30 for 30. So that's really cool. But that was really one of the things that um, I started to establish readers and what I liked about it at the time was not only I was establishing readers, but I could see other blogs establish readers as well. You know, they would do the 30 for 30 and then, you know, other people would find them. So it was really cool. It's kind of a, an early network of people. So that was really fun um, to be a part of and to watch. 
Yeah. So here, wait, can I do a sidebar? I know we're still like on your journey, but with the 30 for 30, obviously you don't need to do it because you know, like you said, what you like. Is it helpful for other people? What did you learn from doing those that many times? I'm tempted to do one myself (laughs) now that you're saying it. It is really helpful. Um, So basically, the whole reason I wanted to do it was because I I think I'd seen, I had seen um, an article in Lucky Magazine and that's basically what they did. They had, I don't know if it was 30 pieces, but they had a limited amount of pieces and then they just made all these outfits. And it wasn't necessarily for the minimalist aspect. It wasn't anything other than that's really cool. You know, I wonder if I could be that creative with the things that I have. And so to me, it was helpful because what would happen is I would put, oh, you know, I love this pair of pants or I love this skirt or I love this dress. And so I throw it into the mix. And by the end of that, you know, 30 days or 30 outfits, I was so sick of the, you know, that pair of pants because maybe it really didn't fit that well, or maybe it wasn't that great at, you know, remixing with other things, or maybe I don't actually look that great in that kind of skirt. So what it did was kind of teach me, this is what looks good on you. This is what works in your closet. And this, these are the best choices for you to buy moving forward. And that's like maybe a little esoteric for closet talk, but you know, it, it really, when you limit yourself to just a few things and, and you're in the control of picking something, you kind of learn, you know what, I don't want something like this in my closet or I need more of this. You know, I learned that I really like blazers. Blazers are really great season to season to mix in and out of your closet, you know, or when I was working, I really loved pencil skirts. There's actually a lot that you can do with them, you know, so there's, you kind of learn what you like and it's different for every single person. And I think that that's why it was successful because it was a small formula, but it worked for every, for everybody's closet in a very different way. When you pick it, do you have any tips for us? Because I'm like totally wanting to do this. Yeah, go basic. And that sounds, you know, and I think that it's the 30 for 30 is a great foundation for your closet. If you know, you thought, okay, I'm done. I want to start over. Or maybe you're starting a new job and you're like, I don't know. You know, I'm out of college and I just have Forever 21 crap. <laughs> what do I start? <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> We've all been there because it's all you can, you know, afford. And you were out at clubs. <laughs> and that's what you wear. But Make sure that I like to say, you know, pick your basic pieces and stick with it, maybe like a color theme and then throw in a couple of wild pieces, you know, and definitely pare down the shoes, <laughs> have plenty of shoes, but pare them down. Wait, that counts as part of the 30 is shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. All right. And people have gone extreme on this. I mean, there have been people that just do 20 items, including like scarves and purses. Oh my gosh. I know. And, or sometimes people will just see how many outfits they can put together in general. And I think really at the end of the day, it's, you can take it again and it it can speak to anybody in any different way. You can take it as, I don't need that many pieces of clothing. I don't, uh, you know, I actually don't like this on me or, you know, uh, this is how I want to buy. So, I mean, I think that it can speak to you in any way you want, but I think, you know, if you are going to do it, go into it expecting to learn something kind of almost like a hypothesis, you know, this is my theory, this is my hypothesis, let's see what I'm going to learn. So, and every time that I did it, I learned something different. And the last time I think I learned, it's really hard to manage a lot of people. <laughs> so with, when, with trying to do Bloom and um, the blog and be a married person. So one last question about the 30 for 30. Did you ever cheat? 
I did. I didn't cheat on wearing something that wasn't in. This is so funny, actually. I didn't cheat on not wearing something that wasn't within the 30 pieces because I'm very paranoid. I'm a paranoid person. The other part of the 30 for 30 that I started with was not to shop for 30 days with the idea of just shopping your closet because if you can't wear it, you know, why, why buy it in that 30 day period? So I think this was maybe summer of 2010 and there was a blazer. It's my kryptonite. There was a blazer at Gap and I think it was on sale for like $24, something crazy. It's such a pretty blazer. Um, it's like a lilac color. If you want to go back to the archives, it was like 2010, 2011. And I bought it and I was so terrified that somebody saw me do it. Like I, I was like, it was almost like I was shoplifting. I was so sketched out. I was, <laughs> every person that would even turn to look at me, I was like, oh my God, they know, they know I'm buying something. They know I'm not supposed to be buying something. Somebody's going to find out. But anyway, I still have that blazer, which is so funny, but that was the only time I really cheated. <laughs> Well, that's impressive. Since I'm going to be moving to the land of heat in August, I feel like that's a good time to try it, if ever, because it'll be all very similar types of items, I suppose. Yeah. And it's good to do it every season. My favorite season to do a 30 for 30 is the fall because you can have, you can layer. And so you can have so many more opportunities to wear the pieces. Summer is actually the hardest because, you know, a dress is dress and you can only really wear it a, a few different ways. So, you, you figure out like what, what, how you want your closet to look and what pieces work the best for that. Because for me before I would just walk into a store and be gravitated towards, Oh, I really like this. Not thinking anything about, well, Kendi, does it work in your closet? How are you going to wear this? Can you wear this to work and out? Or, you know what I mean? It's, it kind of causes your brain to shift a little and for you to start asking those questions when you shop and kind of get a plan. So I mean, that's how I shop now. I, I don't, unless I'm feeling really sad or bad about something, I don't, and I do, I do emotionally shop. But if I go into a store or if I go shop without a plan, I'm, I'm frustrated with it because it's usually not what I need. It's a great piece, but it's not what I need. So it kind of just teaches you to be a better shopper, I think. Wait, Okay, now I have to ask about this. This is becoming more about fashion now, but that's totally <laughs> fine. <laughs> I'm excited about this. I have to ask you, what's the difference between a, a great piece and something you, I mean, I guess I know what that means, but could you go a little deeper? Sure. Um, there, I have many of them. <laughs> there are great pieces and you know what I'm talking about. You have this, like I have this green pleated dress. It's beautiful. It's from Bloom and you can wear it two ways, you know, and only probably to two places like a wedding or a really fancy date night. It's pretty, I mean, it's nice. It's a nice dress. It's silk. That's a great piece. I cannot wear that to work and feel, you know, if I was in a desk job, if I was at an office job, I cannot wear that to work and feel serious about myself all day because it looks like I'm going to prom. You know what I mean? A great piece. And it's great to have in my closet because, you know, if I do have a summer wedding or I just wanted to feel fancy, that's great to go to. But when you compare that to maybe a great pair of skinny jeans, how many times are you going to wear those? 50, 60, 100 before they fall apart? You know what I mean? Like that's a, that's, that's a piece that works. That's a piece you won't get frustrated with. If you had to, you know, take pair your closet down, does that green dress stay? You know, if, if you were just like you, let's say you're not going to move your whole closet to Austin, does that green dress stay? Do you really need that dress to get you by? You know, I think that 
that's where I, I get stumbled because a lot of times I see pieces of clothing as art or fashion. And so I'm so drawn to those pieces. That's why anthropology is very dangerous for me because Alice in Wonderland, you go inside and all of a sudden you drink, you know, the Kool-Aid and you're really small in this big area. And then there's a Cheshire cat and then you try these things on and then you end up with three dresses that have cats on them. And you're like, where am I going to wear this to? <laughs> I've lost the receipt. Like, so that's what I mean. Like there, there can be a great, beautiful piece in your closet, but it might not be the most wearable item you have. And I have a ton of those. I mean, I am not minimalist girl by any means, but you know, I, I think it's good to have a balance because a lot of times you just need a great piece. You just need a great piece that you can put on. Feel really good about maybe you can't remix it into 10 different outfits, but you, you do love it and you do feel good in it. And that's good to have. But if you just go in and like me, I'm only drawn to those statement pieces. That's really dangerous when your whole closet is just like full of things that you can't, you know, I might have, you know, 10 beautiful shirts, but I have no pants to wear with them. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's what I meant by that. Where do you spend your money on the statements or on the needs or both? Probably, probably the needs. It's probably like, I, I would love to just spend all my money on statements, but probably the needs if I'm, if I'm being smart and I can tell if I'm, if I'm frustrated, again, emotional shopper here. I will go straight for those statement pieces. It's like, you know, a comfort eater eating macaroni and cheese. You know what I mean? Like I'm straight to anthropology. Nobody talks to me. This is serious. But if I'm being smart about it, it's I, I spend my money on the needs. It doesn't mean that it has to be boring or basic. It just means that you've got to get your wear out of it. Like, you know, I, I bought a, another, sounds like I'm um, a hoarder, but I bought another chambray shirt. I have a dark colored one and I wanted a light color one. It was one of those things that every time I went to my closet, I was like, I'd really like to pair a lighter colored one with this. You know, and it was, it was becoming a habit in my closet where I was like, why do I not have a light colored chambray? So in that case, it's a need. You know what I mean? I rarely go to my closet. I'm like, I need a silk maxi dress with printed butterflies on it, you know, even though that exists and it's beautiful. So it, it, I think it's just, you just have to be smart about it. But what are you? Are you needs based or? statement based or I'm probably more needs based than statement. I have some cool dresses and I'm actually a little worried about my wardrobe and how it's going to shift to Texas. Actually, this is so funny. Okay. So I've been saying this to Mr. Lively. Basically in Chicago, I live in Lakeview, which is just North of Lincoln park on the lake. It's not Bucktown. It's not Wicker park, which is the more kind of hipster indie side. So I'm in the more preppy area and Mr. Lively also really likes polka dots. So I've been wearing a lot of like, I call like, I live in a dot centered wardrobe, like a polka dot centered stripes and polka dots. But I feel like Texas, well, not even Texas, just specifically Austin. I always joke. I'm like, I'm going to be wearing triangles because triangles and geometric, (laughs) a little more laid back and a little less preppy nautical. And I don't know if I'm right or wrong about this, but he keeps whenever I go shopping with him, he prefers the dots over the the geometrics. But I keep warning him, I'm going to be wearing geometrics. (laughs) That is funny. Or maybe even like a combo stripes and and uh, dots. I know. He does not get the whole like Native American or like that print, you know, which is like a bunch of different size triangles kind of all facing the same direction. Yes. Like it looks kind of Navajo blankety. He does not yes. get that at all. But I think it's cute. I just, and he, and yes. where I live here, it's not, 
yet necessary. But I'm like, do I need to wear, do I need to bring my polka dot pants to, to Texas? Yes. I do. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, the, Austin, especially you, you can just dress however you want to. I mean, Austin's pretty casual, but no, of course you can. I think you dress however you want to dress, no matter where you live. I mean, where, where we live, I, I'm in a sea of like yoga pants and t-shirts and I walk into our coffee shop and I'm in heels and a dress and it's a Tuesday and you know, I technically don't have a job. So (laughs) you know what I mean? So it's, I say dress however you want to dress. You bring those polka dot pants. That was just kind of a funny story that I've been saying is like my wardrobe's going to shift from dots to triangles. (laughs) But now let's go back to your story and go. So you're working at the jewelry company and you have candy every day going, but what happened from there? Well, you were an intricate part of that. So we, I had become kind of, and I said this at the beginning, I knew that, and it had been made very clear to me that I was not going to move up from my position or um, I was going to stay in that position. Even my, I'd gotten a little bit of a raise and even my, my pay rate was, was, was stopped at a certain place. And so I had kind of become increasingly disappointed in that because I liked my job and I liked what I did. And I'd always seen myself in marketing and, you know, this was a great company. It was a great opportunity. I liked what I did, but when somebody puts a cap on you, it just, it, it, it kind of makes you everything shift, you know? So I started thinking, okay, if, if I'm not going to do this, what else could I do? And Kindy every day had, had picked up, um, some readers and followers. And again, this was kind of unmarked territory. I had no idea that blogging, you know, two years prior to Numino blogging existed. And now, you know, I thought, well, maybe I can make money from this. Maybe I could try this as a career. And so when we came up to see you and met you for the first time, you and I were talking and you said, why don't you just quit your job? <laughs> and I was like, whoa, whoa, nobody, we, I can't just quit my job. I don't have a plan. No one said that before I did? No, 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 no. And we were poor. We did not have a lot of money and we, I shouldn't say poor. We were, we did not have a lot. We did not have a lot of money. We did not, um, live in a great place. You know, we, we were struggling to get by probably as it was with our two incomes and here somebody's going, Oh, we'll just quit your job. It'll be fine. You know, you've got to have a little bit of faith. Right. But the minute you said that seemingly a stranger, I mean, we'd known each other for a few days and the minute you said that, just something clicked, something, you know, it's just kind of a fire inside you that you think, maybe I should quit, you know? And so then, then the wheels start turning. And I think we got back on a Sunday, perhaps a Sunday. And I think I quit Tuesday. <laughs> it was like within a week. Yeah. It was very fast. Yeah. That's pretty much how I make decisions. So, you know, me and Brian had talked about it and I, he said, well, how will you make money? And so I kind of drew up this pretty simple business plan. And I you know, said, I'm going to write a 30 for 30 guide, a 30 for 30 book. I'll publish it. I'll print it. I'll sell it. And, you know, I can do advertisers. I can, you know, and so I started kind of brainstorming, kind of creating my own path with Kindy every day, not knowing really what else to do. But I knew that if I stayed at this job, I knew that that's where I would stay. And B and I kind of talked about that during this process. I remember, you know, is this where we want to stay? Am I throwing away a good job just because I think I deserve more of a title or I think I deserve more money, et cetera, et cetera? Because it's a scary thought to say, I have a good, stable job. We have, you know, okay income. 
am I willing to throw this away for nothing? <laughs> Basically, you know, I, I had a business plan, but it wasn't, it wasn't solid. And B said he was okay with it and I couldn't sleep. <laughs> so I knew that was a good sign. So I just went in, told my boss, said, I'll, you know, I'll give you a month. That was also selfish on my side because we needed that income. <laughs> and that kind of gave me time to um, burn the midnight oil and work at home at night and get kind of my 30 for 30 guide written and created. And then I think I quit maybe October 1st and got my guide up somewhere in between there and, and sold it. I wrote a PDF and designed it and sold it just like that. So I wasn't really an ebook. It was just a guide to 30 for 30. And that actually brought in some income for us. As soon as I announced on my blog, I said, you know, I'm going to try and go full time. I got more sponsors. I got, you know, more opportunities to do things like that. So in the moment of me saying, okay, I'm going to shift my life this way. And I was a little unprepared. I know a lot of times people giving advice say, you know, be prepared. I, I was a little unprepared, but in the moment of shifting my life, that was my direction at that point, And that's what I was going to do. So I don't really know how to explain that. <laughs> yeah. We well, also had a pretty significant following. So if other people think about doing this, I wouldn't say that this is necessarily the best. Just so random. I know. I it, It's hard for me to see it that way. It was significant. Yeah. I get, it's, it's hard because, and I, I say this to anybody, you know, and I think it's just something my mom always said to me when I was a little kid, you know, just be who you are because somebody's always going to be you know, better than you or worse than you, or prettier than you, or maybe homelier than you, you know, I mean, there's, you can, you can put your, yourself on a scale and somebody's always going to be above you or below you. And so don't worry about those people do what you're going to do. So it's hard for me to think even now in numbers or readers, because it puts you on this scale and all of a sudden you have to stay on that scale or you have to rise above and you don't want to go below. And I think that that's, um, I think that that can really destroy ambition really easily. So it's hard for me to think back and think, especially now because I was 25, what a brave thing to do. I didn't know I was being brave. I just knew I didn't want to be in that job anymore because I would go nowhere. And I knew that I was destined for something bigger than me sending emails, you know, and making money for somebody else and using my skills and my talents to help somebody else advance when they didn't want to help me advance. And again, I kept doing the 30 for 30. I knew that that brought readership and excitement and community. And so um, I kept doing that. And then I'd always had the idea for Bloom, not the name, but the idea for opening a store. So I quit my job in 2010, just to give you a timeline, uh, September of 2010. And then we opened Bloom the following September. So I kind of always had this push to own a boutique, but you know, it's kind of one of those fantasies that you just have, you know, maybe you wanted to be a ballerina when you were little or an orthodontist. Um, I wanted to be both. <laughs> so those were my dreams. <laughs> so yeah, so that, that spring, you know, I just kept blogging and I just had this feeling like there's something more, there's something more that you could be doing that you should be doing. Um, it was kind of the same feeling that I had when I talked to you and you said, you know, well, why don't you quit? Why don't you try, you know, at least try. It was kind of that same feeling of there has to be something more. And so uh, I had thrown the idea of, of opening a store out to Brian and he, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's Brian, my husband, he's always, um, always encouraging, always has been. 
but I didn't really take that seriously because it's, you know, it's your husband. You think, oh, of course he's going to say that I could do it or, you know, of course he's going to encourage me because if not, we would end up in a fight. (laughs) So I I didn't take that. I took that very lightly. So I talked to my mom about it. You know, I'd like to do this. And she, she was encouraging, but you know, just not flippant, but it was just kind of in passing. And so the next day my dad called and he said, uh, I heard you wanted to open a store. And I was like, what? Who told told you that? And he said, "I, I think you could do that. I really do it. I'd love to help you. And my dad had just retired and also got <laughs> a bad case of cancer at <laughs> this time. So he was going through treatments and he was retired. So he had some time on his hands. By the way, he's in remission. So good. It was fine. Yeah, it was, uh, it was an easy cancer, if you can possibly say that. He had time and he has been in business for not retail, but other business for, you know, year. So I said, of course, I'd love for you to help me. So he would call me um, almost every day and say, you know, what's, what's your plan? What's your business plan? What are you doing? How do you want to do this? And for the first month or so, I just dabbled. I was like, dad, we're, we're not going to do this. Like, this is really sweet and everything, but I doubt that this is going to happen. And he just kept pushing. And kind of once I realized that, you know, everybody around me thinks that I can do this. Why don't you think you can do it, Kendi? It was like, okay, you got to get your life together. You know, like you, you can do this. So this kind of entered the surreal part of my life where uh, we started looking for locations and we ended up in McKinney. We lived in Perville still at the time and we ended up in McKinney, Texas. So it's a suburb of Dallas and it's a really cute town square. It, I always say it looks like the Gilmore Girls set and it's so precious and the, the events that happen down there are just like on the Gilmore Girls. I mean, like, it's pretty campy, but it's so cute. And there's, I've learned that there's a lot of community, which I learned when we, this is at the end of the story, but we're still at the beginning. So uh, we ended up, I just fell in love with downtown McKinney. And so we just started this hunt. This was about May. And we just started this hunt for a a space available, which is funny because it's kind of in the, boat that I'm in now. And it's a very similar time frame. So this is very weird. So we started uh, looking for space, no space available. Nobody wanted to work with us. I was a dumb 25 year old girl. I mean, uh, nobody cared. You know, banks didn't care. Nobody wanted to rent to me. I had to travel back and forth between Kerrville and McKinney. It's about six hours. And so I would just try as much as I could to go on the weekends to, you know, solidify plans and to try and find a space. And so one day my dad had just gone around to a couple of the shops and he left his car, his business card with a lady who basically said, don't open a store down here. You know, she doesn't want to do that. You don't want to do that. And my dad said, okay, okay, well, so if, if you hear of anything, you know, here's my business card, just let me know. So he kind of went door to door for me, which is really nice to find a building or to find out who the landlords were. I mean, we were, we were, we had nothing. And a day or two later, the lady called and said, you know, this is so-and-so. I actually, I didn't tell you this, but I actually have two two spaces down here. I have two stores and I'm closing the other store. And if you want it, you know, I'm going to close it, but I'll, I'll let you take over the lease. But if you're going to do that, you have to sign the lease by this weekend. <laughs> so we had spent, you know, two months searching, nobody giving us answers. I was actually on a plane uh, to New York and my dad called, like I was literally on the plane. My dad called and said, there's a building down here. Do you want it? I mean, we didn't know rent. We didn't know anything. And I was like, yes. You know, so um, I ended up driving 
back down, not from New York, from Kerrville. Um, I ended up driving down and we, we signed a lease. I, I'd seen the space, but I mean, it, it literally was just kind of blind. And so the space that we were in, that was a space. They closed their business in August. We opened, uh, we got the key September 1 and we opened September 23rd. So in a matter of six weeks, really, I think Brian quit his job at the very end of August. So in a matter of six weeks, we moved from Kerrville. And this is a little known fact. We actually moved in with my parents. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Nobody knew. Um, it was actually, it was, this is silly to say now, but I was, I was ashamed because we had gone from being, and I think this is just something you deal with when you go from being on your own to, you know, maybe you, we couldn't afford to, you know, lease an apartment or anything. So we put everything into bloom. So I don't know. It was just a little bit of shame. So I never told anyone. I mean, people around here obviously knew. Um, but yeah, we lived with my parents for two years. Two years? Two years. Yeah. The good thing is my parents are really, um, they're really fun and happy and nice. So we actually, it was a really sweet time because we became very close, all four of us. And they actually, they love our dog maybe now more than us. So <laughs> like, they love Carlos so much. My mom calls still and she's like, does Carlos want to come over for the weekend? So like, <laughs> share we share custody, I think, of Carlos. But yeah, we lived with them for two years. Um, and they really helped that situation because anything I made needed to go back to bloom. And of course, you have to remember Brian quit his job to help me live my dream. So we were a very low <laughs> one income family at this point. So and I think a lot of people see somebody start a business and they immediately think, oh, they're probably making so much money. That's really not the case with retail because of how much overhead cost there is. And so this year, I wrote this on the blog. This year, we were actually going to turn profit, which was amazing for being in business for three years. But you know, the th- the three years that Bloom was open, we we didn't draw a dime from it, just because of the overhead costs and we have employees and we have all the stuff. But this year, we probably would have, which is nice. So we moved in with my parents. We opened Bloom within a matter of six weeks and hit the ground running from there. From there, we opened online in February of 2012. So we opened 2011 and then February 2012 is when we opened online. Huge mistake. I should, shouldn't have done that. But um, Wait, why not? Because it's after the holidays? No, because we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> so basically, since we've closed the store now, I've had a lot of time to think about mistakes or things I would do differently, mistakes, you know, over and over in my head. But the thing that I wish somebody would have told me what I wish I knew, uh, I wish you would have told me was it's okay to start small. And I, I get very, um, I guess a little bit of a perfectionist in the way of everything. And especially at this time, I'm much more calmer now. I don't know if it's because of being in business for three years or because I'm getting closer to 30. I'm not sure, but I was even afraid to announce it on the blog which is so weird. I know it's so weird to hear these things now, but that's just, those were just my feelings then. I can't explain them, but I was, I was afraid of backlash because I wouldn't be doing the 30 for 30 anymore because it, it's hard when you change on a blog. It's hard when you change on a, on a platform that people have, have known you for two years as a certain way. And then, oh, by the way, I'm going to be a shop owner now. And, you know, I mean, it's just, it, it changes everything. And I, I wanted that change to be very fluid. So I didn't want to, you know, not do outfits five days a week. Well, I had to, you know, I mean, they're just, 
I looked at myself as two very separate people, Kendi every day and Kendi the shop owner. That's not a good way to look at yourself. I learned as being extremely stressed out, but it's because of the blog, I wanted everything to be perfect. Um, even, even the store needed to look perfect in case a blog reader came in or, I mean, there was just this level of perfectionism that, um, I kind of became obsessed with. And so, you know, there was pressure to put online up, you know, up into the internet. So there's pressure to start online. So we, <sighs> we hired a girl straight from college. She was a family friend and she didn't know what she was doing. We didn't know what we were doing. And, um, we learned very quickly, but you know, in the stress of us trying to keep up with Kendi every day, keep up with bloom, the brick and mortar, we start the, the whirlwind that was online. And you knew this with Jess LC. It's, it's a whole other monster than brick and mortar. It was a lot of work. And I don't think that we were prepared. Oh, and by the way, Brian was still a wedding photographer. So we were doing weddings. He had nailed it down to doing about one to two weddings a month. So by the way, we're running a brick and mortar store that we were there six days a week, trying to do kindy every day, trying to do, run online and shooting weddings on select weekends. So it was a lot. And I started to unravel a little. That's why I say I wish somebody would have just said, it's okay to start small. It's okay to not conquer everything. It's okay if, you know, Brian says, you know what? I can't do weddings anymore. Let's just focus on this, which is eventually what he said. And luckily he has a passion for retail as well. So that worked out really great because he's a really good counterpart. He's a really good you know, co-owner. So that's really helpful, but I don't know. I wish that that advice had been there. So it wasn't like I had to go and conquer the online world, which is what I tried to do for two years, which is silly because when I look back on it, I think, Oh, Kendi, like there's, you didn't have the capital. You didn't have the inventory. You didn't have the employees. I mean, there were times where we could maybe employ one person to run online and sometimes that would work out and sometimes it wouldn't. So it was me and Brian doing it you know, we had one, one or two employees in the store that were part-time. So it was a lot. So I, I just, I, when I look back on it and I think moving forward, when we move forward with our new plan, the idea of starting small doesn't mean that you will stay small and it doesn't mean that it's not good. You do, do you know what I mean by that? Yeah. What would small have looked like if you could retrace your steps? Small. Um, I think, yeah, I think just being okay with being a brick and mortar until we figured the ropes out. So in retail, you know, you have the four quarters, as everybody does, and the fourth quarter is the best quarter. And that's where we started. We started beginning of the fourth quarter. So we had a great, great first quarter. While, you know, I had just learned to buy. I mean, literally, we opened a store. This is all new to me. Even though I had worked retail in college, Brian had worked retail. I just come from a corporate um, backside of retail. So it's not like I woke up one day and I was like, I want to be an orthodontist. And I like put braces on somebody. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I knew what it, we knew what we were doing for the most part. So this is mistake number one. We took the <laughs> assumption of fourth quarter sales into first quarter. First quarter is horrible. <laughs> Nobody tells you this. No, it's really hard. The first quarter. I know. It's really all. It can be good. It can be good. You just have to know what you're doing. You just have to know what you're working with. We had no idea. 
So we're buying at a volume of fourth quarter at, on the first quarter. That's a hard hitter. <laughs> and in, in, in some ways, as much as I see as online opening online that quickly as a mistake, it, it saved us because we opened in the first quarter. So it, it saved us. We were able to move more inventory, et cetera. But, you know, just I think that there's a beauty in this is my personality. I try and run ahead and see what's going to happen. And then I go back and tell everybody, you know what I mean? So it's like, okay, so I'm trying to like see ahead of, of the game. Okay. So this is what we're going to do. So that's what I was trying to do with the fourth quarter sales, not actually logically thinking about it or just going through it, you know, saying, well, let's try to buy this amount and see what happens. Instead, I needed to be, you know, type A perfect, you know, well, this is the sales we're going to have and we're going to grow every quarter. And, you know, it was my over ambition and over perfectionism that kind of made us kind of, I, I don't, I think Bloom was great. I think Bloom survived. I think that once you get into business, you kind of understand that um, if your wheels keep going, you can figure it out. You know, if, if you keep going, you will figure it out. If you make a mistake, you will figure it out. Like that's, that is just business. Like no business has been around that didn't make a mistake. That that's, that's foolish. But I think, you know, instead of letting myself actually learn those things, I needed to be perfect. Does that make sense? It probably doesn't, but it was like I needed to almost assure everyone around me that, no, no, I knew what I was doing. Instead of learning something, instead of being open to an experience, it was like, no, no, I have this figured out, when in reality, I didn't at all. So I think that that's what I mean by starting small or just, you know, kind of taking the ego out of business and just, you know, making the best decisions you can in the most logical format. And kind of learning from there. And that's kind of where Bloom, I stopped doing that, luckily, within the first year. And then we kind of started learning. Then we kind of started going with it. We started going with the flow of Bloom, of retail, and knowing that really no month is ever going to be the same. You have to bend and you have to be flexible. And it's it's a wave that you have to ride. And um, once I kind of calmed the F down, I... Um, I actually learned how to be a business owner instead of trying to emulate what I thought a business owner was. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So let's come to what recently happened with the decision to close. So what went on there? Sure. So basically, I have to explain this in certain ways because you kind of have to visualize downtown. It's it's idyllic, all these old buildings that are smashed together. So they technically look like maybe one or two building when really there's like 11 on a block, okay? Because a lot of times with our customers, we said, you know, oh, our building sold. And they said, the whole block sold? No, 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 no. You know, one, this, just this building. So we had a two-story building and we occupied both floors. Bloom Online was upstairs. Bloom, the store, was downstairs. So what happened was our landlord had come to us and said in December of 2013, he said, just so you know, I've, I wasn't preparing to sell the building, but I've been approached to sell it. And I, I didn't want to, but the money they're offering is really good. And it really was. He made over half of what he put in, which is amazing for downtown McKinney. I mean, it's, that was, it, was a good, it was a good sale on his part. And, you know, B and I understand business is business. And if you buy real estate, your goal is to make money. So there were no hard feelings there. But he told us this in December. And 
it, we didn't think anything of it. We thought, oh, it won't go through because this had happened a couple of times before. And we thought, no, nothing will happen. Well, sure enough, in February, he said, okay, this is going to happen. Um, I said, well, what do they want to do with the building? Are we able to stay? And he said, well, they'll keep your lease. We had it through this September. It was a three-year lease. He said, they'll keep your lease, but they, they want you out. I said, oh, okay, what are they going to use it for? And he said, they won't tell me. I said, okay, so um, they, I think they closed on like February 18th or something. And they, sure enough, uh, wanted us out because they wanted to open a clothing store. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So that's where the conversation started because, you know, we were no longer under this sweet man who was our landlord, you know, just didn't care. We could do whatever. He just thought we were great. He called us the kids. I mean, he was just like the sweetest man. And so now we were kind of in a different game. And basically, they wanted a store. They were coming through, writing down our lines. I mean, it was very evident what was happening. So they wanted to like, basically wanted to take over and replicate what you were doing. Right. But without buying our business, you know, and I asked her that as an option, you know, would, you know, do you think they'd want to buy our business? You know, no, you know, so because I thought, well, you know, that's, that's what you do as a business owner, you create a great business, you sell it, you create another great business. I mean, that's, that's what entrepreneurs do, you know, so I thought, oh, well, maybe this is an opportunity. Would you like to buy Bloom? No. Okay. So it just became very evident. And it became very awkward, because now it, it's it's hard to go from a place that you've spent three years building and you feel very safe. I mean, Bloom is like two blocks from our home, but it's it's our second home. You know, we loved that building and we basically lived in there for three years. It's weird when it becomes unsafe to you. You know, all of a sudden it was it wasn't our space anymore because I knew that we were kind of being kicked out in a way. So we had our lease through September and we decided that but, by the way, we started looking for buildings and we had kind of a, tried a couple of other options. They didn't work out um, for, for the best, actually. Now that I see it, it was pretty heartbreaking at the time. But yeah, so we decided to close our lease early, which I know seems ridiculous because why would you not just stay in business till September? But the summer months are pretty slow down here. And so we thought, okay, we're not going to you know, close our business right before fourth quarter. Let's, let's you know reinvent. Let's do something else. So we ended up closing um, April 30th, I think, just the end of April. And um, we ended up closing online because the amount of um, inventory we get into the store, we can sell through the brick and mortar at a higher volume than we can online. Just again, we don't have the capital or the manpower to really push online. It kind of served as um, an outlet for maybe candy everyday readers, but it, I, I don't think that ever functions fully as like an online store. So we had to cancel all of our, our orders and lost a couple of vendors to that, but we canceled all of our orders and just said, okay, we're going to pause because, you know, I, I believe that this just means that we needed to do something different or something else. And we were also pretty hurt. So I think that's not why we stopped online. We just stopped online because we couldn't keep up with the volume and we weren't able to modify orders. But um, yeah, so that's kind of ha what happened with Bloom. So we we ended April 30th. And you went to Europe since then. <laughs> yeah. Um, no to sell. Don't pack up a store and leave a day after <laughs> and go to Europe for two weeks. Um, but it was fun. Yeah, we went to Europe and I, I sound so maudlin. Sorry. 
um, we, I just expected some, you've been to Europe. Yeah. Yeah. You got married in Paris. Yeah. Yeah. I expected some, I'd never been to Europe before. So I expected some type of enlightenment or an eat, pray, love moment. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. Gosh. Now that I think about it, yes, that's exactly what I wanted to happen. Um, (laughs) oh my God. Perfect. Yes. I basically, I did eat. Um, that (laughs) did happen. A lot of emotional eating. I just expected something great to happen there. Like I would wake up and I would have this idea and this peace because at this time, this time I was, I was done. I was done. I boom broke my heart. I mean, it just, when you put so much into something and somebody can take it away so quickly, your first reaction is I'm out or it was for me. It wasn't, I was just like, okay, I'm done. Like that hurt. I don't want to do this anymore. And it's only because you couldn't find another storefront to go into, right? It wasn't like, they killed Bloom. No. You just couldn't find a place to grow it. And also, so there's, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a layered thing. So that's, like, we couldn't find a place, but also, and I said this earlier, when, with business, if you keep the ball rolling, things are good. You know, like, you can, you can handle any mistake. It's when that ball stops. That's kind of, that's a problem. And since we couldn't find a space to move into, and we really needed to know by about March because we started getting orders in and we couldn't find anything. So the minute we stopped making money, our capital stops. You know what I mean? So like we keep going. So the place that we're in now is we need capital because I don't know if that makes sense, but I mean, I think it does to you probably because you know what I mean. It's basically like we have to start over again. And that was the problem where we were at. So any building that we needed to move into, we would have needed to um, put money into redoing it and stopping sales and trying to. So it was just it wasn't a good timing. I think when I look back on it, that's just the way it was supposed to be. We were supposed to close for hopefully a season and then get back to it. But yeah, so I guess to answer your question, yeah, we couldn't find a building. And you didn't have an aha moment and no eat, pray, love visions were shared in Europe. No, sadly, um, no eat, pray, love visions were shared. Um, yeah. In fact, I think we just fought pretty much the whole time things you did (laughs) not see on Instagram, but we, uh, we got home and I think we just started talking and you have to understand. So me and Brian married, worked together, have done this for three years. You, it's, it's hard on a marriage. It's, um, it's hard and you kind of start creating these other layers. So, you know, you have your own personal layers within a marriage and then you start creating these business ones. So then we kind of had to, we were kind of angry at each other and we didn't know why. And finally, I think it was Brian who said, we're mad. We're mad at what happened to bloom. We're mad that we had to close. And, um, once we kind of realized, Oh, okay, we don't hate each other. We, you want to stay married. This is good. We kind of were able to look at it for what it was. And, you know, at the end of the day, it was, it was a sad situation. There's a lot sadder things that could have happened and that have had happened. So I think that we were pretty fortunate for um, being able to get out of a lease, for being able to have really understanding customers who said, okay, well, we'll see you when you open again. So um, once we kind of emotionally worked through that and looked at each other and said, you know, I'm hurt. And, you know, he said, I'm hurt too. We just kind of left it alone. And then maybe like a month ago, we just kind of started talking about it again, you know, cause we really were both just done. Like 
it was just, I, I know that that sounds so dramatic. I think we're probably two really dramatic people. So that's probably why it does sound dramatic, but it's hard to explain when, when, when you fail at something, you can, you can be mad at yourself when somebody else maybe takes something away from you. That's a harder thing to, to grasp sometimes. Cause it's almost like an outside source, you know, at any time, do I want to, you know, do I want to start a business again when somebody can just come in and within two months I'm done? You know what I mean? Does that make sense? I totally get it. I think you're leading to what's happening. I, I'm like dying to know. So yeah, we started talking about it again and just, you know, at first we had a totally different idea. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And then we just kept coming back to bloom. Um, I think I, I wrote about this on the blog when we were in Europe. This this actually, this is an eat, pray, love moment. So we, you know, we tried to talk about it a little in Europe, but really we just ended up like drinking sangria. So all important conversations go way out the window. <laughs> so anyway, so we were in this boutique and I started talking to this girl and she was really sweet. This was in Barcelona and she was checking us out. It was kind of an expensive boutique, and but she was so nice and she had just started her boutique. So yeah, I wanted to support her. So I grabbed some like, notepads. It was like the only thing I could afford. So we threw it out there. And so she's checking out and there's these bracelets up on the, um, on the cash wrap and they just had little sayings on them. They were just stamped in and it was in a different language. So I said, well, what do these mean? What, what does this mean? And she said, well, she was Spanish and the words were in French. And she said, I'm, I'm not sure how to say it in your language, but I think it's like, maybe it's like an explosion, like, like a, like a growth, like an explosion. And she was trying to translate from French to Spanish to, to English. So I said, oh, explosion. That pretty much explains me emotionally. So we're going to buy this. <laughs> and its word is, I'm not going to say it right. It's like, uh, I'm not going to say it right. It's S-E-P-A-N-O-I-U-R. And it's just on this cute little bangle. I mean, it's real simple. So we're sitting outside while we're still in Barcelona. And I, I Googled uh, what that word was. And it literally translates to bloom. Into blossom. Oh my gosh. I have goosebumps. Okay. See, now that's an eat, pray, love moment. Yeah. And I mean, in that moment, just tears, just tears filled my eyes. And again, I'm dramatic, but tears filled my eyes. And I too got <laughs> chill bumps. And I looked at Brian, he was like, what's happening? You know, like, are we having a PMS meltdown? Like, what's going on? And I, <laughs> oh, he didn't know what the word was? No, I just found it on my phone. And I go, it means to bloom that the word means to bloom. And he was like, Oh my God, you know, so, and I don't, I don't know how people feel, but I always think that the universe or God sends little messages and sends little hints and things like that. And for me, that was, that was a pretty big hint. And I, I didn't want to hear it at the time. I was like, you know what, little bracelet, I love you so much. I love the word bloom. This is amazing, but I'm not going to open this store again. You know, like it was pretty much like, this isn't going to happen, but I love that this has to bloom. Like, you know, it's like, it reminds me of the story I had for three years. This is amazing. Anyway. So ever since then, and I kid you not, I see bloom all the time. The word bloom all the time. Like we went to the movies the other day and one of the first build um, people in the staff, his last name was bloom. I mean, like the other day, I mean, you just, I see it everywhere. And maybe that's just silly because it is a very common word and it is summer. So we get home and we just start talking about it little by little, little by little. And soon enough, we, we have a new business plan. <laughs> we kind of talked about our mistakes. We talked about what we are not going to do again. We talked about what we are going to do again. We talked about the strengths, the weaknesses. In a way, I feel like we've been given a mulligan. You know, not a lot of businesses are able to stop, reevaluate, and maybe start over. So hopefully the starting over will be this fall. 
our sweet landlord bought another building down here. So basically what happens down here is it's like a chess piece. Um, buildings are swapped, buildings are sold, buildings are, you know, so you losing your landlord's not a big deal. You getting kicked out, that's another story. But our old landlord, he he loves to buy buildings and fix them up. Well, he just bought a building that has been abandoned for a little while and um, called us maybe two weeks ago, called us incessantly. And I was like, why is he calling us? Um, so we finally got a hold of him and he said, I want to take you for lunch. I have, I have some ideas. And sure enough, he has um, a little building and he wants to demo it and then let us do whatever we want. <laughs> so, which the lease hasn't been signed and, you know, they have to close on it first. So all of this again is up in the air, but in a way I feel like we've kind of been living in an uncertainty anyway. So I'm pretty certain in the uncertainty of, um, I, th- I think that this will happen. And if it doesn't, we'll just edit this podcast and it's never happened. <laughs> <laughs> if you find out by Thursday, otherwise people are listening to this right now. <laughs> yeah. She did not mean any of that. No. So anyway, so, you know, again, and this could all fall through. And the, the thing I think that I've learned the most about this year has been, it's one of those years that you hate to live through, but you love to tell about. You know what I mean? Like, like you said, it would be a great story in, in a novel or a memoir, but I can't believe even when I recant it back to you, how much has happened in even the last six months. But I feel like I've become very confident in being where I'm at today. You know, like tomorrow Chuck could call, that's our landlord. He could call and say, you know what? It didn't go through. And, you know, I'd probably cry a little and then move on because I think what happened with Bloom, it's just, that's life. That's going to happen. You know, you're going to have ups and you're going to have downs and you're going to have the part that's in between, you know, and I feel like right now we're, we're in between. We're not having a really low time. We're not having a really high time and that's life. So I feel really grateful actually for what happened because I think that it's calmed me down as a person and as a business owner to know that at the end of the day, no matter what happens to your business, you have to make the choice to keep going or you have to make the choice to stop what's happening or you always have the choice. And I think that's true in life as well. I've always struggled with confidence as a business owner. And I think that as weird as it sounds, but us going out of business actually has built a lot of confidence in, in what we're doing and what we can do. How so? Because I think I know that I have the choice that it's not over. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah, that happened. And it, it, it was sad for a while. I mean, it was a sad time in the skiing household. Like, you know, there was a lot of Joni Mitchell playing. Like we were <laughs> a lot of red wine, just three o'clock in the afternoon. It's fine. <laughs> but I think like it gave me the confidence to know, yeah, we can move forward just because a situation changed. That's what happened. The situation changed. Somebody bought our building. It doesn't mean that you're, you're done. You had one chance and you're done. Not in any world is that true, you know? So for me, it makes me feel confident in the fact that, you know what, it might be a little bit harder to get started again, but you can, you know, you, you make the choice to do that. I could also make the choice and become bitter and go inside of my own emotions and be angry or mad and just say, well, this is what happened when I was an entrepreneur and it didn't work out. But that's not true because I have the choice to say, you know what, that did happen. We're going to try this again. (laughs) And we're going to try this again with three years of experience. Whereas I think Bloom was successful for what we did, but we started that with no experience really. And now we have three years behind us. 
And I know for a lot of people, they would be like, three years isn't that much. But for me, that's a whole encyclopedia. You know, I feel like I learned so much in those three years. I feel I feel 40 years old some days, you know, because of, of how much we experienced in a short amount of time. So I think that that's how it's given me confidence because it's it's yet another experience that I went through that technically I could have been afraid of. And now I'm not really afraid of it because – well, I mean, we live to tell about it. We're okay. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I totally, I can totally relate. And just starting over, I think I'm on pretty much my third business now, accessories <laughs> and business consulting now, doing life with intention. And yeah, I'm the first year of the third business, if you will. And it's all flowed more succinctly, perhaps, than maybe your business has. But I totally relate to everything that you're sharing. And it's, it's so freeing, right? Yeah. And I mean, even you with the jewelry business, you, you know, you learned things there that maybe you don't use in your everyday, but you can help somebody else. I mean, I think that every experience builds on itself. Like, you know, you're probably way more confident now than when I met you and you were pretty confident then. (laughs) So, you know what I mean? Like when you go out and you stick your neck out and you do something, sometimes it hurts and sometimes it's heartbreaking and sometimes it's successful and you don't really get to pick which one it is. But you gain that experience and you, you gain, I think wisdom's kind of lofty, but it, a little bit of wisdom in going through that, that experience. Yeah, I can totally relate. And I think the longer I am in business, and I've been in business now for seven years full-time, 15 if you count since I started Jess LC, I think what you're getting is perspective, right? And we all, especially for those of us who are, you know, not even quite 30 yet, like both of you and I are, it's hard for us to kind of get the perspective. But the more we are in business, the longer you see, like, and I always use Joyce Meyer. (laughs) She's a preacher I love. She is like 70 years old. And so when I listen to her, I get this perspective that I don't necessarily always have right away, but like, we're going to be in business for a very long time, or we're going to be doing something with our lives for like the next 50 years. Right. So we have to kind of keep in mind that, yeah, we're just going to keep going. I mean, we may not have to do the same thing. And it doesn't mean that whatever right now is, is the biggest or worst thing that has happened to us or will happen. We just got to keep evolving. Which is terrifying, by the way. <laughs> like, oh God, there's worse out there. <laughs> terrifying. No, perspective's a great, you know, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that's a great, that's huge. I didn't even think about that. And it's, there's comfort in that. There's comfort in just seeing something in a different light or a different way. And sometimes you don't want to hear it. Had I heard myself saying these things three months ago, I'd been like, just shut up. You know, like, <laughs> you don't know. Um, but... Yeah, that's a that's a great point. I think we'll all continue to grow in that way and have that perspective, whether we're business owners or not. (laughs) Right. Okay. So I know we've shared a lot of doubts and resistance, but I'm going to ask the question again and see if maybe if you have a different topic to touch on. What doubts or resistance have you had to face in your career or life? Probably my own self doubt. I, I'm a very odd mix of ambition and insecurity. So I'm pretty ambitious, but I, I all, I can really talk myself out of something. And and that's really scary when you're an entrepreneur to not be secure in, in maybe what you're doing or who you are. And I've kind of had to learn to, and I'm still, I still struggle with, um, insecurity in just kind of a general way. And I know probably it's, it's hard for people to, to see that because, you know, they see an edited photo on my blog and think, oh, she's probably so confident, blah, blah, blah. But 
I almost wish I had a little bit more, maybe, maybe I had a little bit less self-awareness because um, sometimes I can talk myself out of something before I even get started or maybe, you know, doubt myself that I can even try something so I don't even try. So I think, honestly, my biggest resistance is myself because, you know, as I, I'm pretty bossy, I guess, when other people are standing in my way or I, I really don't care. You know, one of the biggest things that Brian and I kind of decided when opening this was we're not going to look around. We're not going to see what everybody else is doing. We're going to do what we want to do. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, we'll figure something else out. So it's never been about other people's uh, maybe opinion of me. It's, it's always of myself. So I think that that's trying to navigate my way between being self-aware, but also being confident enough to make a decision. That's hard sometimes. And even this is strange because I own, well, I don't own a retail store anymore, but when I will again, um, I'm terrified of sales sometimes, which is really funny because that's how our business works. That's how retail works. You sell things. I'm pretty shy in that. So I have to really um, kind of boost my confidence before I work with a customer or I style somebody or anything like that. I think your doubts and resistance, if I had to summarize, would be about your own confidence in your decision making and selling things to people. Yeah. And I think just knowing that you're making the right decision is hard, you know, especially when you have a team looking at you. And I think, you know, again, the perspective and the experience that I have is make, is, is lessening that. I think any time that you do something, you have an experience behind you, you gain confidence. So it's becoming less and less. But really, I, I would say I'm probably my own roadblock a lot of times. Yeah, it's probably your ego that's the roadblock. What I find personally for my business as Absolutely. I keep doing this is more and more, I'm like, why don't I just ask my gut? Because my gut knows way more than I do. And, and if I get out of my own way and just ask my gut what to do. And I know that sounds weird, but literally now I'm like, why didn't I do that all of those years? I always had a general intuition about what I should do next. And I'd always, but I'd always make it a rational choice rather than just asking my intuition straight out. And now I'm like, right. why bother doing it that way? That's just, you don't even know I've made decisions before based on my ego and what I thought would be fun without consulting my intuition. And they weren't successful ventures. They were fun to do. And if ha they had grown, that would have been great, but they weren't successful because they weren't supposed to be. That wasn't what I was meant to do. And I just didn't take a second to ask myself that instead of, or my intuition that, rather than just decide with my head what I thought would be fun or be successful. Right. Or for me, it's like the easiest route or the, the path of least resistance, you know, is this going to cause a conversation somewhere? Is this going to be too different? Is this going to look weird? I mean, there's so many things like my brain can just really go down any path possible. So I really have to just kind of, control that in a way and just say, you know, if this is what my, like you said, if this is what my gut's feeling, we can't, we can't play the what if game. We just have to go for it. So it just takes me a while to get there sometimes. Yeah, I totally hear you. So what would you tell someone who's just starting out on this journey? I think probably to, yeah, probably to be intuitive, to, to listen to your gut. And I think everybody has intuition and has a gut they listen to or not. But I think to do what you set out to do, when you start a business, everybody will call you and tell you their opinion. <laughs> and I think it's probably attuned to having a kid. When you have a kid, people, I've heard, I don't have kids, but you know, I've heard that people will be like, oh, well, they're sick. This is what they need to do. Or, oh, don't give them this medicine. Give them this. You know, 
I felt the same with a business. You know, people had every opinion. And what I tried to do was um, please every one of those opinions or those expectations. And I think to truly be successful, you have to do what you want to do and how you how you think that's going to go. And the, the unfortunate part is if it fails, it fails. But if it's successful, it's successful. And I say unfortunate because I shouldn't say unfortunate because failure is not that big of a deal. Um, technically, you could look at Bloom as a failure, but it's not. You know, we're going to keep going. And like you said, in 10 years, we're going to look at, back on this as, I mean, nothing, you know. So I think doing what, if I had to tell somebody just starting out, I would say, don't listen to anybody else. If, if you want to, I guess, stay on your path and do what you know is right. Now, don't be foolish and not accept advice. I mean, advice is different, but um, don't let anybody de- you know, deter you from doing what you want to do, especially in business or um, blogging, because I think that everybody's point of view is unique and special. And a lot of times in business, you know, like I saw this a lot in the area we're at. One person would do something good, so everybody would do that. That is lazy <laughs> in a way. You know, let your if you're starting a business, let your your own spirit, you know, guide it. Let let the business be a reflection of you. Because I think that that's what makes great businesses. And and we're talking about blogging, same thing. Don't sit there and, and get a list of things that you think what successful bloggers do. Do what you think will be successful. Try try something new. Try what you want to do and you know be intuitive about it. And if it doesn't work, try something else. So um, and other than that, I would just say don't give up. That's a really um, Winston Churchill line of me. But it, it's very easy to give up. It's very easy to say, you know what, not today. Or this is really hard and I didn't expect it to be this hard and I'm out. Don't give up. If you need to walk away for an hour, it's fine. But don't don't give up on what you want to do. It might not happen tomorrow, but I think eventually it will happen. That's really well said. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Candy. Of course. It was so fun. And that is the end of one awesome episode. Thank you, Kendi, so much for coming on the show and sharing so openly and so honestly. If you'd like to send Kendi a message to let her know how much this show has meant to you, please go over to Twitter and send her a message at Kendi Every Day. That's K-E-N-D-I Every Day. Thank you guys so much, and I'll see you next week.